afford to be. This is small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rockstology, your comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. My name is Pat Francis. And I'm Gary Lucy. Me? Oh, I'm just Matt Bell now. That's it. <laughs> just that dude. And uh, we'll be joined in a second by a special guest. Uh, this is a very special episode, as you probably saw from the banner. But uh, let's. Uh, uh, we don't like to leave anybody hanging on our, our phone line, 330-81-ROCKS. So we'll just uh, blow through a couple calls here. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, this is Mitch Thompson calling you with a couple of quick recommendations. Inspired by Gary's recent love for the Get Up Kids, uh, I figured that I'd give each of you a recommendation based on a Get Up Kids side project. Uh, for Gary, it's uh, White Whale's Nine Good Fingers. Uh, right before Rob Pope joined uh, Spoon, he was in a short, he did a short stint in a band called White Whale, and it's right up your alley. Uh, for Pat, uh, Blackpool Lights and the song is This Town's Disaster. If I had a king of the world for a day thing going on, uh, I'd use my power to make everybody listen to Blackpool Lights because they don't, they didn't get any of the respect they deserved and they're great. Um, and for Matt, uh, since you're in this special time when your kids are starting to listen to kids music, I'm going to recommend to you uh, Matt Pryor's side project, uh, The Terrible Twos, specifically the song When I Get to Eleven. It's great kid music, and it's great music. Cool. All right, Mitch, thank you very much. This is uh, Matt, you and me are out of luck because I couldn't find The Terrible Twos or White Whale, but uh, Pat, this one is for you from uh, Mitch from Kansas City. It's Blackpool Lights. Let's see what you think of this. Okay. shabby right i like that i like that a lot thank you mitch yeah we would not have heard of that and uh i know everybody's got that band we're like you gotta listen to this yeah and i know mitch it's uh, i know Blackpool it's always Lights. like that yeah yeah so thank you frank glad we could oblige so uh check that out and uh this is exciting this is a complaint i always love it when there's a complaint, a complaint. Uh, oh yes. boy who Eric. called in? Is this a call from me? <laughs> this is, uh, it's Eric. your mom. It's your mom. <laughs> your mom called again. Hey, this is Eric in Minnesota, your Dylan correspondent. Not Brian. You guys called me Brian. My name's Eric. Maybe my thick <laughs> Minnesota accent through you. Anyway, two more shows. No Dylan. Granted, one of those shows was not about <laughs> old Beatles, but uh, then the next show was all about drugs and, and who introduced the Beatles to drugs, but Bob. <laughs> yeah, I listened to those shows back to back. Keep up the good work. I would almost like to never play Dylan so we can get a cranky call from him every couple of weeks. Well, maybe this will satisfy him and play us into our topic here. It's, uh, you see that one called uh, Song for Bob Dylan? I did. I could have arranged these more. Yes, you could have. Sorry. There it is. Why are you so excited? Here you go, Eric. 
Bob Dylan. <laughs> Here, the first line's kind of funny. Voice like sand and glue. <laughs> uh, that, of course, is David Bowie from Hunky Dory, 1971. With a song called... Song for Bob Dylan. Song for Bob Dylan. And that uh, brings us to uh, our topic today. It's a rock solid focus, focus, focus. <laughs> suggested by, uh, I think it was suggested by listener Scott Adams, I think. Yeah. He said, you guys should do a whole show about Bowie. And uh, in in uh, to celebrate the release oh. of the next day, right? Uh, that's uh, we're doing just that. And um, uh, we thought we needed the help of a Bowie expert to come on. So uh, please welcome uh, to the microphones, Lori Bauer. Lori, welcome to Rock Solid. Hi, thank you. Oh, how you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good. Glad Lori, to see you guys. It's good to see you. Lori has uh, a beautiful teeth. We pointed She's out earlier. gorgeous teeth, <laughs> beautiful yeah, she eyes, does. and she's sporting her Diamond Dogs era. Yeah, yeah, Bowie '74 sure. T-shirt. Awesome, yeah. looking good. We'll like take a picture so you can see Ringer teeth, <laughs> Ringer teeth. So you can see her fangs and her teeth. Lori and I have been friends for like 25 years. We were. Uh, she was in a, this amazing band in San Jose. First, they were called Daddy in His Deep Sleep. Well, first they were called the Nephews. Yes. Then Daddy no, and His Lori Deep and the Lords. Lori and the Lori Lords. And the Lords. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, the nephews. Daddy in his deep sleep. Were you guys the Shivers for a while? The Shivers. Did you record as the Shivers? We did. Oh, I need that. There's another group called the Shivers, too. Oh. I have the Shivers. I'll get it to Oh, you. could you? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you were sacrilegious. Mm-hmm. And then was there anything after that? That was it. That oh, was okay. I got to tell you, Lori, these are great band yeah. names. <laughs> I know. These, these are amazing band names. guys were awesome. And the, San Jose, not a great music hotbed. There was like a lot going on in San Francisco, mm-hmm. a lot going on in Santa Cruz at the time. Right. The camera, and stuff. San Jose was like very like provincial and insular. But Daddy in his deep sleep, you guys had like this... It was like this, like Warholian fatal glamour. You guys were so good looking. Your songs were like so above. You were like so dangerous seeming and everything. And but like so so like the, the rest of the bands, it seemed like like it was they were kind of against you almost. It was that the yeah yeah in the yeah. press we were and totally everything. Like we got um, we had to leave San Jose actually. Yeah, yeah, we got <laughs> right wow, out of town this on is crazy. We got blacklisted. It was the same when the, when in, in Portland like ten years later when I was when the Dandy Warhols first started playing. It was like oh they're too ambitious. They're too you know they they look you know they look too glamorous and everything like that and like you know like the other bands were kind of against them and everything and then uh, so you and and the sound was kind of similar I wanted to uh, before the Pixies before Nirvana you guys invented the soft loud soft with uh, <laughs> uh, Matt from about one oh five on on that song called Jeeves let's and hear which it. band is this this is Daddy in his deep sleep okay yeah let's hear like uh, let's just hear just a little bit of Jeeves from one oh five is this you on vocals. Uh, we shared vocals. vocals. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Huh? <laughs> so okay, now now play a little bit of uh, Misunderstood. This is Sacrilicious. This is the uh, lead-off track. We'll just play a little bit. Let's go. 
awesome is that? That is so great. That is awesome. That is... Uh, the album's called When You Wish Very Upon nice. a Dead Star by Sacrilicious. It's on Frontier Records, produced by Earl Mankey from yep, uh, Sparks yep. and, great. Uh, and uh, 3 O'Clock The Cramps. Free. The Cramps, yeah. It's so good. So good. So, Lori, let's establish uh, for the court uh, your uh, qualifications as a Bowie expert. You, uh, uh, will you please tell uh, the people what your dog's name is? <laughs> okay, actually, we had three dogs named Bowie. <laughs> so I think that qualifies me right there. Yeah. You, don't like, you don't like mix it up like, that's Ziggy. This is... <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay. That's the thin white dude. <laughs> Cracked actor. <laughs> and uh, who did you dress up as Halloween uh, uh, last year, uh, uh, I or, guess it was Ziggy. Oh, well, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, kind of like the Aladdin Sane makeup. Yeah, it with was the, a little nice. collaboration. Excellent. And so I would, I would see uh, Danny's Deep Sleep, and you know, I just knew the, like the Bowie songs they'd play on classic rock, right. like your Rebel Rebel and things like that. And changes, yeah, and, changes, and all that. And uh, they used to do a version of uh, "Hang On to Yourself" from uh, Ziggy Stardust, and I just ima- I just assumed it was their song, and. Uh, and uh, oh, and uh, no, I found out it was Bowie's song. Like oh, I got to explore this. Yeah. So that and that just sent me down the rabbit hole, and uh, much like you've been. So you know what that's like. So thank yeah. you, Lori, for that. Anytime. And uh, so we are going to uh, kind of move through his career, kind of chronologically, play some cool. uh, favorite tunes and stuff. Um, uh, we're going to start off with the kind of '69 through '74 era. This is uh, Space Oddity, Man Who Sold the World, Hunky Dory, Ziggy Stardust, Lansing. Pinups, Diamond Dogs, like kind of the folky guy right, down right. to the glam uh, period and the red mullety era. And uh, to, just so people know, with me and Bowie, I uh, I was uh, the casual Bowie fan. Yeah. I, I love the hits, yeah. all the hits I love. <laughs> and then I got excited when I heard that this uh, album the next day was coming out. Yes. Because it's been 10 years. I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe I'll, I'm going to, that's going to be my first full Bowie album that I buy. Uh-huh. And I bought it. Love it, love yeah. it so much that then I started to work backward, and then I then I jumped to the early stuff and moved ahead. And I am not kidding; I have purchased twelve to thirteen or fourteen Bowie physical CDs in the past like two weeks. It's crazy. Like every day, my wife's like, "Is that a Bowie CD?" I'm like, <laughs> what? What are you? That's the one from yesterday that you? No, it's not. That's a new. What? Nuh-uh. So uh, yeah, it's crazy and it's so great. And Lori just said that she's. Uh, she goes, oh, I'm jealous of you because you get to hear all this stuff for the first time. And uh, 2013, the year of Bowie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, that's so, just uh, a little background on Insight me. on that. Yeah. And uh, what, uh, as our guest, where would you like to begin, like in this, uh, in this sort of uh, early-ish uh, period? Like where was... Uh, well, out of those albums, I like Hunky Dory a lot. I love Hunky Dory I think Dory it's just so a much. solid, solid... CD you have to own. It, it is. And uh, a guest of uh, Never Not Funny, John Ross Bowie, he told me this many, many months ago. He said, the Bo- if you're going to try one Bowie album first, Hunky Dory. Yeah. And it is great. That's the kind of the one I started with. Yeah. But yeah after, and then uh, that was his fourth album, I think. No, third album. Yeah. Fourth album. And uh, it's just amazing. It's kind of like, it's kind of his Dylan-y mm-hmm. sort of thing and everything. And uh, which, uh, which uh, track did you bring for us to? Well, uh, I know you probably quit wanted queen bitch oh. that you picked it because i heard you played it on cd rack of the gods oh right oh yeah <laughs> cd rack of the gods yeah <laughs> but it's such a great song it yeah. was that or uh life on mars so queen bitch okay did you um do you uh, have a little uh, queen bitch i, I got it sounds a little long enough I'm up on the 
You know what's funny is um, I also picked Queen Bitch. Oh, okay. Well, that's okay. But what's, well, but what's sad about it now is people are going to think, oh, that must be one good song on Hunky Dory. No Queen way. <laughs> but there's not. There's changes. There's kooks. There's song for Bob Dylan. Every song's good, but that's... That's let's just a great song. Let's hear just a taste of Kooks because that's that was the uh, one I brought in. Oh, you brought it? Okay, cool. Yes, that's oh, it's so beautiful. Uh, this was like uh, it's like because you know it's one thing like you know when you're like a disaffected teen and like oh nobody gets me, but then you find out there's other people like you and everything, and that's like step one of like okay now I have some friends, but this is like step two like oh you know maybe someday I can have, have a, you know find somebody to love and have a little yeah. family, and that's kind of what Kooks is all about, and it's um it's kind of Beach Boy sounding here. Will you stay in a lover's story? If you stay, you won't be sorry Cause we believe in you Soon you'll grow So take a chance With a couple of kooks Hung up on romancing You know what's funny? Uh, kooks reminds me of... Uh, of the other Davy Jones, yeah, a little bit. Totally sounds like it. And um, and Queen Bitch reminds me of of, of a Lou Reed ish type Velvet song. Underground, yeah, totally, totally yeah. yeah. But have you heard the Killers do what is it, Mister Bright Eyes? Oh, Mister Bright Side, Mister Bright Side, yeah. Mr. Bright Side. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like Queen Bitch to me. I could see that. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. I can, yeah. You're right. Yeah. No, um, tell us a little bit of like, you know, what was your gateway in? How did you like first? Uh, it was hunky dory. Oh, really? Just yeah. like your sister have it or something? My, or uh, actually, my friend gave me that cassette and space oddity. So oh, it was nice. like back to back listening to that, you know? Awesome. And, and how old were you? Maybe 16 or okay. 17. Nice. There, yeah. And what were, what kind of things were you listening to before that? Just, uh, uh, probably like Blondie and yeah. I like the doors and uh-huh. you know, Genesis. Okay. Pre Phil. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. In that last sentence, you used a word I had never heard before. Cassette. <laughs> that would, um, you can tell me what that is off. I don't know what that is. Is that a drug reference? Did you guys <laughs> know from yes, San, yes. San Jose? Yeah. I had my, I might cassette of hunky dory with, um, the first Roxy Music album on their side that, oh that my you guys had also got me into. Yeah. And I had one of those. I kept breaking Walkman, so I got like a, like a My First Sony. It was like a kid Walkman. It was like <laughs> totally indestructible, and I'd go out and do my uh, exercise. <laughs> That's funny. Awesome. Flipping that around. So um, so let's... Uh, we're still in the time period. We're still in the time period. Did you have anything else from that uh, era? That, oh, uh, yeah, I do. I have yeah, something uh, uh, from Aladdin Sane. Okay. If you could drop us in. I Actually, I have two drop-ins for this song. This is uh, Watch That Man. Oh, yeah. Drop us in at 14, and then we'll jump to 102.
I can jump in at 102. I think we'll hear some uh, chorus there. Is that still Mick Ronson uh, playing, I think? I it is. Think. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, people talk about a lot about the uh, chameleon aspect of Bowie and how he's always changing. I, always, I think he's kind of like tofu, you know, like he kind of takes on the properties of uh, who he's working with. And, <laughs> the flavors. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, what I discovered is that no Bowie album sounds like a Bowie album because yeah. they all, it's all different. Yeah. It's totally different. And yet somehow the same. Yet, uh, yeah. You know, he's got... Uh, He's got his own uh, thing going, but he, really uh, does. he channels it through. Yeah, who he's working with, what's going mm-hmm. on at the time, right? Things like that. Um, did you have anything else from this uh, early period you wanted to uh, get to? Uh, also, on Aladdin saying, I think Lady Grinning Soul's great. I don't know this Lady Grinning Soul. Oh my it? god, it's my favorite song on that album. Oh wow. learned on wikipedia that this song was inspired by he met this american soul singer kind of obscure one claudia lanier uh-huh. that's true and uh <laughs> she she's the one who sang that song eh, everything i do gonna be funky from now on that was, uh, <laughs> that was my favorite uh, claudia track but uh so yeah. now obviously uh, it would be easy to play just the hits but we're not doing that today we want, we want to get you deep deep yeah. into the catalog but from that uh, era um you've got uh changes the gene genie uh rebel rebel and um, you know all that all that good stuff too that you know of. So we're just all the Ziggy stuff all the and Ziggy all the yeah. stuff. Yeah. So. Um, and uh, did we did we ever end up hearing a little "Hang On to Yourself"? Uh, could we hear a little bit of that on? Uh, sure. This was. Sounds like the Ramones might have listened yes. to that a little bit. Maybe a couple times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cars like, are so crunchy. It's just yes. awesome. <laughs> it's like being back at One Step Beyond, right? Exactly. In the, it's like a <laughs> nightclub in uh, San Jose. Oh, man. So good. So that's uh, Ziggy Stardust. You need that. Yeah. And it's uh, it's very good. You and Hunky Dory. You need Ziggy Stardust. You need Aladdin Sane. Just get them all. Just get them. Don't, don't, don't make Trust me. <laughs> just get them. <laughs> Shall we uh, move, move on to the uh, the next phase of this episode? What about Diamond Dogs? Oh, okay. We got to just touch on me. Maybe candidate. That okay, was candidate. I'll say that. Awesome song. Good call. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
deal Like any other kind of day We'll pretend we're walking home Cause your future's at stake My set is amazing It even smells like a street There's a bar at the end Where I can meet you and your friend Someone scrawled on the Nice. Some, I was trying to see who was playing guitar on that. That was some good scronky work. Yeah, because he had fired his uh, yes. the spiders. They were out of there. Yeah. But brought back Tony Visconti. Yeah, yeah, but he did guitars on this album. Oh, really? Says. I think he had some guitar player, but it looks like when I looked at the credits, it uh-huh. said Bowie on guitars. Interesting. And uh, Ainsley Dunbar, who goes on to oh, play with mm-hmm. Journey. Nice. Um, Look at that. Uh, and while we're on Diamond Dogs, just uh, <laughs> 29 seconds, let's, let's, hear, let's hear Rebel Rebel. Come on. So good. It's flawless. I mean, and just you know that not sure if you're a boy or a girl stuff. Oh, it's just got like, your mother in a world. Uh, this is great. Yeah, just <laughs> man, just takes you back. And he could have stayed there. He could have like you know you know stayed in that glam pocket forever, yeah. and nobody would have minded. Nope. And he could have come up with like different ideas and everything. But, but he did not. That's when he started to evolve. This uh, moving into the mid seventies, mid to late seventies. Now we got with your uh, young American station to station. And the uh, Berlin trilogy, Low Heroes and Lodger, uh, he uh, starts uh, jettisons like all the uh, bell bottoms and uh, crazy mullets and uh, eye patches and stuff. Kind of starts wearing more suits and uh, getting a little more fancy looking. Right. Hooks up with this guy uh, Carlos Alomar. Right? Yeah, and he's trying to kick drugs. Trying to kick too. drugs, kind of too. And not that, on <laughs> not on young Americans yet. No, <laughs> pretty <laughs> emaciated. Trying to yeah. take more drugs on young Americans. That's yeah, uh, and station to station too. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Skinny. So Not what uh, uh, what would you like to play as your? Uh... Um, I like Station to Station. I like Young Americans a lot, but yeah. I, if it were between the two, I like Station to Station better. Um, and that's a really long song. I think mm-hmm. that, like if you pick it up at five seventeen, it's wow. because it's like a fifteen minutes. Oh, okay, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so this is title track. Yeah, from Station to Station. Nice. And that's uh, Roy Bitten plays piano on that album from the E Street Band. Oh, I did not oh. know that. And uh, also Earl Slick also plays some guitars on that album. That's Groovy. Mm-hmm. Bowie plays saxophone and mellotron. <laughs> <laughs> Multi-talented. He likes his sax. Yes, he does. <laughs> Trained as a mime, Bowie. Is that true? Yeah. 
No. Yeah, it was like his first love. Is that true? Wait, what is it? He, Trained as a mime? Yeah, he did. He studied oh, yes, mime. he did. He well, did he, with he, Lindsay Kemp. Or, oh, man. Is that it? He's I got, so. he's got the, the body and physicality to be a mime, Next. so... Uh, Pat, what do you got from this, Sarah? What's um, well, I jumped into the uh, to the Berlin trilogy, uh-huh. and I'm going to play a song from Low. Uh-huh. Um, tell you what, I tell you what I did not know about Bowie is, uh, especially on this Berlin trilogy, is I didn't realize how many instrumentals there were going to be. Yeah, There's a lot of instrumentals, and for me, Low's about half and half. Yeah, yeah, and for me, and Heroes, ten songs, four instrumentals, and for me. Uh, when I think, I always thought of David Bowie, I thought, well, he's a singer, yeah. so there's going to always be lyrics. So, I, even though the instruments, instrumentals are good, I still like lyrics and singing. That said, <laughs> um, let's go to Low uh, at 41 seconds, a song called Be My Wife. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Um, be- before I forget, too, I want to uh, throw a, a shout out and a thank you to a listener of ours, Scott Adams, yeah. who is a big Bowie fan and was willing to trade emails back and forth with me for like uh, two and a half weeks. And uh, he seemed into it. Seemed into seemed it. Into it like, so uh, uh. thank you, Scott. I much appreciated all your help this uh, past couple of weeks. Uh, I want to play a, a bit of another track from Low. Uh, this is uh, Sound and Vision from about uh, oh, yeah. 59 seconds here. Listen to this groove. Stop spitting on the stove, Bowie. <laughs> anyway, that's that's a Mary Visconti on background vocals on, really? that, on Sound and Vision. Yep. Oh, interesting. That's Tony, the producer's wife. Have you guys seen that thing of Beck uh, no. singing this song? No. It's, it's some like promotional thing for Buick somehow, but they got him with like a hundred musicians, like full chorus. I heard about it, but it's I haven't really heard it. Neat. It's really wow. cool. Yeah, it's so pretty she's, cool. They're doing Sound and Vision, so check that out. Yes. And what we what we haven't mentioned about the Berlin trilogy is this yeah. w- is when. Um, Bowie started working with Brian Eno. Working with Brian Eno, yeah, yeah. very uh, important. That's what I feel like the instrumental, like the flip yeah, sides of the albums, right. it's almost like you're listening to an Eno album yeah. a little bit. It's almost like a double fantasy yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, half, uh, mm-hmm. half Brian, half David. So, yeah. Totally. And um, uh, some other tidbits about the Berlin period was that on uh, he was promoting Station to Station, and he makes this appearance. He's in a convertible Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> and he shows up at Victoria Station, and it's a very famous picture. Like, he stands up, and they say it's a Nazi salute that he gives. He claims to be caught, like, mid-wave, but it was, like, a total uproar. 
Yeah. And he it says, was a I'm pile. Not. It was a seagull. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, I'm not a Nazi. I don't sympathize with Nazis. And then to prove it, he moves to Berlin. But he also said he thought Hitler was a great rock star. I oh, mean, right. I think he was so psychotic on cocaine by this point. You know, I don't know how he held it together and yeah. put all this, to, you know. Well, I mean, was, you know, now that time has passed, if you think about it, Hitler was a great rock star, right? I mean, if you're great, you know, great crowd work doesn't mean you agree with his views, but you yeah, know, yeah, can, what, can be misconstrued. It can be misconstrued. Yeah, I mean, Lenny Kravitz is a great rock star, but he's terrible. He's a terrible person too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that guy is, has done more harm to uh, <laughs> than almost anybody. Pat, will you indulge us for a second with uh, what if Paul Stanley was Hitler addressing the crowd? <laughs> Let me tell you some people <laughs> what we need to do with these other people that I don't like <laughs> is we got to take them, we got to get rid of them. <laughs> I mean, because they're bad people. Now, I'm a good person. I'm in my bunker. <laughs> but, uh, uh, is that Paul Stanley? Yes, yeah, that was Supposed Paul Stanley, the rock star. Um, who's, uh, whose turn is it to play, um, to play I think, tune? I think, I think it's Laurie, and I'll save my other uh, Berlin tidbit. But, uh, okay. what, do you, what else do you have uh, from this era, Laurie? You know, I'm sorry, mine's from Low 2. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. It's Speed of Light. Oh, oh cool. Any uh, time cues or just... Uh, and you know, this one just... Oh, it's like... Pretty much it. <laughs> nice. Well, then I'm going to jump to album number two in the Berlin yes. trilogy, uh, Heroes, yeah. in, quotes. Oh. In, in quotes. And I would like to jump in at one minute and five seconds. Let's hear Beauty and the Beast. Sure. Something in the night, something in the day. Nothing is wrong with daughter, something's in the way. This is the in the air. Protest on the wind. Someone else is Someone could get scared. Now that was cut from the Disney movie soundtrack. Yeah, it's know, weird. They, it it would have fit so perfectly in that ballroom scene. Yeah, Lumiere, Lumiere was supposed to sing that. <laughs> he did play some maracas on that. If you listen That's carefully. true. <laughs> that was nice. Someone fetch a priest. <laughs> I love it. So great. There's um, uh, a great episode of Sound Opinions podcast. Where uh, they uh, recently, where they interviewed Tony Visconti, and he talks a lot about like how they got the uh, that cool guitar sound on Heroes and stuff like that. So you know, if you think like, when are they going to play that? Or, you know, I would I would direct you there. Listen to that. It's uh, it's an interesting story. But I'll tell you this interesting story that they won't tell you. And uh, we're uh, taping this on the day that Mad Men comes back. I don't know if you guys are yeah, Mad Men yeah. fan. Yeah, I'm a Mad Men. And uh, you know how people have those appointment shows and everything. Like, oh, you know, they really look forward to these TV shows every week. When when Bowie was living in Berlin and he's roommates with Iggy Pop. Right. Their jam every week, five o'clock, the Armed Forces Network on Friday would play Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> and they never missed it. This is true. No. And, yeah, I read it I read it in, in Q here. They uh they would just like wait and, and like and you know watch it every week, you know, be, before they got to work. And I guess like like Armed Forces Network has like their little call sign thing and it would be like and they're like, oh, I like that beat. And Bowie picks up a ukulele and writes Lust for Life wow. on a ukulele Whoa. based on the Armed Forces Network thing. And then they watch some Starsky and Hutch. 
Oh and my God! What a great day! That's yeah. a great day. <laughs> That's a great day right there. I what love uh, if you go to Wikipedia and they always have uh, they'll have the albums and then they'll tell you what genre it is. And mm-hmm. the the Bowie genres are like for heroes it calls it art rock, mm-hmm. experimental rock, ambient. And kraut rock. <laughs> That's what it's called. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Kraut <laughs> rock. Um, I got guys, a case of kraut rock right now. It's killing me. <laughs> uh, you guys, I forgot to uh, tell you that this uh, section of the show has a sponsor. Uh oh. And it is. Um, I had no idea. Let me see. Where the hell was it? Oh, I'm so sad. I. I like carefully downloaded all these like Bowie commercials from uh, YouTube. Oh, really? <laughs> I forgot to bring them. That's oh, okay. uh, oh well. Oh well. Nah, no sponsor. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, so I, I, I this, this episode was brought to you by failure. By failure. <laughs> do you have a uh, Do you have another tune from, uh, the, from the era? Forget it. I have another tune <laughs> go from ahead, the era. Go. Uh, this is from uh, this. This album is kind of crazy. This is called uh, Lodger. Yeah, and was, um, that was going to be our sponsor. This, this is a. Uh, <laughs> This is a, the genre of this album is art rock, experimental rock, world music. Mm-hmm. But this is a song I remember from MTV, and uh, and I love this song. This is called DJ. Yes. So uh, that came out in 79, and I know MTV didn't come along for a couple years later, but uh, Bowie was one of these guys that always made these promotional video clips. So when MTV came on, they they dug all those up, and so that's when I first heard... uh, and saw uh, the DJ video. True my, visionary, yeah. yeah. My friend and I were like, what the hell is this? I don't know. I kind of like it. So do I. Uh, you want to kiss? What? No. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I see that on some Night Flight. They were uh, playing yeah. on there. For but, sure. Um, and they had Boys Keep Swinging. Boys Keep Swinging. which um, In drag. Yep. Yeah, he was, he was like, uh, Bowie was like three different, dressed as three different Very ladies. scary like, women. Like, like the, an old, uh, an old woman. Yeah, something. it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, also, um, uh, Suzanne Hoffs does a version of Boys Keeps Yeah, that's oh, really? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that was her album, When You're a Boy. When You're a Boy, that right. Cool, that's, yeah. And she took the title from one of the lines in the song. So awesome. Pretty neat. Uh, anything else from the... Uh, from the um, I like Lodger on... Or not Lodger. Um, what is the song? Look Back in Anger. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a great song, too. Let's hear that from Lodger. Video too. I want to say it did. Yeah, I think it did too. Yeah, it was all demented with yeah. oil painting and crazy. That's uh, that's that's like such a, a part of his persona. This like uh, I mean, he's you know such a master of performance, right? You know, right. and uh, you know definitely gets into it that way. And and it kind of like what I'm getting at is what do you what do you make of this like whole like 
chameleon thing. Everyone, everyone says that word in connection with him. Like, do you think it's a, do you think like, like he suffers from self doubt? You know what I mean? That he's got it. Or or is it just more of like an evolution sort of thing? Or Uh, like, I I sort of think he was always like, even though he maybe wouldn't say this, he always tries to keep up or like, you know, like with uh, young Americans, he wanted to sure. be in that um, Philly sound. Yeah, and right. he's always kind of trying to keep a step ahead of things. Mm, or right. on the outside, he was kind of doing the Trent Reznor, Definitely. you know, Nine Inch Nails thing. But he does his own spin. He says he draws on his own material. He doesn't even feel like he needs to draw on outside things. But I don't believe that because you just hear too yeah, much, yeah. you know. And um, I just think I always th- even, you know – even when I was just a peripheral David Bowie fan, mm-hmm. he just always seemed to me like he, that's what an artist is. Mm-hmm. He's an artist. He, he paints, he reinvents himself. Yeah. He does all different styles of music. I always, I always felt that even before I was a fan in the past two weeks. Um, <laughs> I just always thought of, I'm like, Oh, if you said who's a real artist, yeah. oh, David Bowie is. Mm-hmm. So he's like engaged with the world, taking stuff in mm-hmm. and then it, you know, filters back out. Right. Amazing. He's a conduit. Yes. There you Something go. Like that. If, yeah. Is that the right word? Well said. Sure. I think I, so. I don't know words. So let's let's like move into uh, kind of a troubling period, the '80s, where we get. Uh, <laughs> but but mm-hmm. the '80s start out for him great, I think, because I think With Scary Monsters oh, yes. is amazing. Scary Monsters is awesome. Best album. I, think. I mean, coming from Lodger, which is sketchy, right? We can admit it's <laughs> has its highlights, but then there's some lowlights. But Scary Monsters is boom. solid. Yeah, You're solid. saying best album, Lori? For me. Now, we heard Alabama song a couple weeks ago. Matt did not care for that. Matt, Matt's a bit of a Bowie agnostic. <laughs> but uh, what uh, what uh, would you like to play something from Scary Monsters? I like Ashes to Ashes. Why I not? know it's like the hit, but... <laughs> Why not? It's still great, yeah. Let's do this mm-hmm. thing. Ashes to Ashes on Rock Solid. <laughs> What do you suppose that is that would make that noise of like the doing doing? I, <laughs> I love that. It's great. It well, like, um, maybe it was Starsky and Hutch inspired. Maybe. Yeah, from like when and that's also Roy Bitten is on uh, piano on oh, Ashes to Ashes. He okay. plays on uh, he plays on three tracks from Scary Monsters, including the one I'm going to play right now, which is uh, at 36 seconds, take us into Up the Hill Backwards. Oh, yeah. Definitely, yeah. The height of his powers yeah. kind of encapsulates things that went before, things that came after. All those so, great guitar players on there. Now, who was on there? That did was Stevie Ray Vaughan on that one? Pete Townshend. Pete Townshend. Oh, Townshend's Robert on there. Oh yeah. 
maybe Carlos. Yeah. Carlos is on there. Yeah, Fripp. It was just uh, wonderful. Townsend. Yeah, those are the th- those are the three on that one. And then then things go berserk in 1983. <laughs> then things go crazy because now MTV is yeah a at thing. the height. It's a thing that makes you sell more yeah. records, and especially if you have a good record. Yeah, a good record and some uh, visual acumen. Yep. Now, yeah. how do you feel about the uh, Let's Dance? You know, I love it. I think Let's Dance is a great album. Sure. I mean, um, it's different. It's mm-hmm. like de- definitely a departure from what he was doing. But um, And I got a lot of slack for liking it back then. <laughs> and I wasn't liking it just to like it. Right. I think it's a good album. It's, uh, every, everyone's, uh, everyone who's, who has a favorite artist, there's, there's that point in their career where they break out big commercially yeah. and uh and and you do love it you love when people are hearing the artists that you've always loved and and you hope then that they will go back and revisit the catalog but it's no longer he's no longer your private guy anymore right he's you not know? your private guy anymore. belongs to the world yeah. so um hard to share yeah <laughs> so Lori, do you have a do you have a song you'd like to hear from let's dance um i like without you it's kind oh. of buried in the album nice. but it's a nice little track That is Stevie Ray Vaughan there playing. Definitely. <laughs> Good stuff. That uh, nice deep cut. There, that's uh, produced by Nile Rogers, right? Yeah, that amazing rock bio. If you ever want to read one, his is uh, Nile Rogers book. He just works with everybody, tells all, doesn't care, amazing life. <laughs> I, I read that all one day. That's a really good one. Um, yeah, and this is yeah, this is the album when Billy starts to work with names you've read on a lot of more commercially successful albums like Bob, Bob Clear Mountain and you know Nile Rogers, Bernard Edwards, you know all these people. And um, for me, I love. It's it's one of the hits, but Matt, if we could hear Modern Love, because I just yeah. think that's just a perfect... So exciting to hear that on the radio. It, it is. That was like when I was in high school and just like, yeah. And it's a great sing-along, all those yeah. harmonies. It's like happy. <laughs> and it would have been good for our last episode. It's got spoken word at the beginning. I know when to go out. I don't want oh, to stay true. in. that's <laughs> true. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, that just, uh, Matt, you're younger than, than we are. Um, that's my favorite Bowie song. Okay, great. Yeah, cool. I love it. 
cool. I know it's yeah. It's a, I mean, I don't know the deep stuff, so that's yeah. I, but you know, all the different sounds. That's the one that resonates with me. Yeah, that's when he uh, take that Madonna. You know what I mean? <laughs> Madonna was on the radio in '83, but then Bowie would come on and he'd go, "F you, Madonna." <laughs> um, sure has done. So now, the, the, now we're go things, ahead. things get a little shaky from uh, things, things get a little dicey. Yeah, with uh, with do you like the the, the next album's tonight? Well. It's pretty, um, no, I don't like it too much. Yeah. And he even admits that he probably shouldn't have gone right into the studio. Right. He was getting take burned some, out. Take a break. And yet, I love the song Blue Jeans. Oh, my God, me too. Yeah. Okay, let's <laughs> hear it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Love I bought it. Blue Jeans. <laughs> Is it? Does he say she's got a camouflage face and no money? Is that what the I'm going to go with that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he said. I, yeah, I got to tell you, that's that's in my top five David Bowie songs. It's just wonderful, and it's one of the songs you you heard that and saw that, and then you picked up the album and you were pretty disappointed. Oh, come on, yeah. I like that that stained glassy cover and everything. That was nice, yeah. but yeah, just the uh, the guitar sound in there, the drum sound. The marimba thing, and then his beloved sax. Mm-hmm. It's just really, mm-hmm. really nice production for like a time when not a lot of good production was happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, then like the, the less said about "Never Let Me Down," the better. Probably that's uh, just- and yet I do like three of the. So- I do like three of the. So- we don't have to play them, but I I do like "Day In Day Out." Okay. Okay. And I like uh, "Never Let Me Down," and I like uh, what's the other one I'm thinking? Of? It was the other single. Um, geez, I wish I could think of it. Um, there's a thing that I use sometimes when my brain. It wasn't absolute work. beginners. That wasn't on there, right? No, it's. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now. It's. Uh, t- oh, I like time will crawl. Oh, time right, will crawl. Right, yeah. right, right, right. That's but, uh, right. That's. But yeah, again, that's not. Uh, that's not a high point. I should say Pat is the patron saint of lost causes. He, like, yeah, I didn't revisit did. that. that <laughs> Pat <CD>. loves <laughs> will like find the good in anything, <laughs> and, and that's what we love about him here. And then and then after that, he uh, tried to shake things up with redemption with tin <laughs> machine with tin machine. Now, now, you saw a Tin Machine, right? Oh, you I did. saw him a couple times. You saw him a couple times. I stayed up all night in line at the Roxy. At the Roxy. <laughs> I remember that story. What was that like? They played at the Roxy? Yes. And I was like, I lived right down the street from there at that point. So I remember we got our sleeping bags. We were probably already even like, we had rehearsal that night. We were like, I don't know, even 40th in line. We weren't first. But we waited all night, took turns, and yeah. um, got right up front. <laughs> there might have been some. Nice. Yeah. And uh when, now, Tim Machine did not play Bowie songs. They just live. No, just. And were you okay with that? Did when you went, did you go? Oh, we'll, we'll oh probably my play God, some it Bowie. Was great. Okay, great. No, I was. I loved the album. Um, cool. At least the first one. Yeah. Well, I have. Uh, I'm going to hijack here for a second, yeah. but still keep it on track. Um, it's about. Uh, this is about five years ago. I was at a yogurt place called Menchie's. Okay. Yeah. There's many of those around here in Los Angeles. I'm with my friend Pete Schwaba. And we're in there with our kids, and he introduces me. He goes, "Oh, Pat, uh, this is uh, this is Tim. His kids go to my kids' school." And I turned and I said, "Oh, you're Tim Palmer. You produced Ozzy Osbourne's Down to Earth." And the guy, <laughs> the guy plops right in his chair. He's like, "What? The, what? Are you kidding me?" He goes, "How did you recognize me?" I go, "Because I saw you on a show once, and I just it just stuck." And so we we talked, and he was a really nice guy. So when I was doing my David Bowie research, I looked up Tin Machine, and I'm like, "Oh my god." Tim Palmer produced those Tin Machine albums. I wonder if I could get him to come in today also. 
So I reached out to him via his website, and he uh, lives in Austin, Texas now. But he said, uh, hey, send me some questions, and I'll record some answers for you that you can play. So Gary and I came up with some questions. And uh, uh, the first question, uh, he'll, Tim does a little intro for us first before he answers. But the first question was, how did you become involved with the project? But here's a welcome to the show via the magic of audio, Tim Palmer. Mm-hmm. Hello, Pat. Thank you for the opportunity to contribute to the podcast. Um, I'm sad I'm not living in California, but I cannot deny that I do enjoy Austin, Texas very much. Um, I'm not quite a a gun-carrying Republican yet, (laughs) but um, no, it's been really good. It's a nice place for music and for the kids, and obviously you get um, more bang for your buck as far as property, that's for sure. (laughs) And no state tax. Bonus! Anyway, answer to question one. When I look back at how I got the opportunity to work on the Tin Machine record, it was a pretty incredible opportunity for me. Um, I think I was probably about 26 at the time, and uh, I'd been working with a lot of alternative sort of guitar bands like uh, the Mission UK, the Mighty Lemon Drops, the House of Love, that sort of thing. And I think that obviously was... um, the sort of direction that their music was going to go. It was going to be a lot less polished, a lot less produced, a lot less 80 sounding than the previous two albums that David had done. So, I mean, for me, it was incredible. I was at home. I'll never forget. And um, I got a phone call first from David Bowie's manager to say, you know, David will call you in the next 15 minutes, make sure you're home, blah, blah, blah. And it was quite a strange, surreal sort of experience sitting in my apartment in London knowing that uh, one of my childhood heroes was about to, to call in, and he did, and uh, it, was, um, it, was, it was great. I mean, he was just very easy to talk to, and basically he explained to me that he had a new project that he was working on, and would I be interested in coming out to Switzerland and doing some recording on it? Another thing that's quite amusing that happened at this point was that he told me the date of starting to record, and I had that date branded, literally branded into my brain as, wow, I'm off to Switzerland to start recording David Bowie on this particular date. And when my tickets arrived, I put them on the the side and didn't actually check them. I just assumed I was flying the day before and, and we were ready to start on this particular day. And of course, that was the classic error. So I'm sitting at home the day before and I get a phone call from the studio manager saying that the full band had arrived and they were setting up the microphones and David was there and and where was I? And of course I looked at my ticket and they'd moved everything forward a day. So that was a great start to my relationship with David Bowie. I just didn't bother turning up to the studio on the first day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the next is what was the goal? Goal, I can't even say that word. What was the goal? goal or guiding vision of the project at the outset? Yes, of course, I had, you know, ideas, um, aspirations of how I thought the next David Bowie record should sound. But, of course, the reality is that it's not always that simple. I mean, first of all, when you're working with an artist in the caliber of Bowie, it's not as if you can ask to hear the demos and go through them all first before you make your decision. So I hadn't actually heard any of the material that I was going to be recording yet. I think it's fair to say that um, at that particular period, um, David Bowie had got into a place where he was not really enjoying uh, the recording process and making albums. 
he'd had a lot of success, obviously, after Let's Dance, and there was a lot of that sort of 80s formula that was creeping into his albums, and he was beginning to sound a lot like many of the other artists. And I think, uh, he, as I said, I don't think he was enjoying the process. So one of the things that was important to him um, was that he wanted to really have some fun this time. And I think he wanted to introduce the element of chaos uh, back into the, in, in, into the process. You know, spontaneity, things like that, um, just leaving things alone. These are valuable lessons that I learned from him, you know, especially growing up in the 80s. It's very easy to, to try and make everything so perfect. And one of the things that I really got from working with David Bowie was leave it alone. Uh, let the musicians play, let, the, let their performances breathe and don't stop picking things to pieces. So the album was sort of, it was uh, very much performance-based, as you can probably tell. The musicians on the Tin Machine album were not the sort of musicians who wanted to sit around and discuss things and plan things out and <laughs> take direction. They're all very performance-based musicians, very creative people. Reeves Gabrels is an incredible guitar player. I mean, just amazing. And Hunt and Tony, of course, were the uh, powerhouse rhythm section on Iggy's um, Lust for Life. So, you know, we had great players. There's no doubt about that. The thing they wanted to do was to be set up in the casino, which was huge, and just be let loose to perform. And that's exactly what we did. We put a lot of microphones up and let them get on with it. I was there driving the console by the seat of my pants, just basically <laughs> trying to capture, as best I could, their performances. And then we sort of figured it out afterwards what was working and what wasn't. Sometimes the take that they really liked was maybe the first take that they ran through on. So I'm, you can actually hear on the record that I'm still changing sounds on the drums and things as the track is being performed and I didn't get a chance to go back so as far as having a lot of thought and planning that wasn't really the way this album was going to be made and um, I guess if there was a goal for David at least it was that he wanted to enjoy making a record again to really have some fun in the studio so the next question was uh, was this a true band project or was Bowie in charge it certainly didn't start off as a band project, uh, that's for sure. Um, you know, the fact was that Reeves and David had been writing together. And when I arrived in Switzerland, Hunt and Tony came in a week later. And that's when things really changed shape. Uh, as I said, once the band had decided they just wanted to play, there was less direction um, being given from David, he wanted them to do what they thought was right. And it sort of became apparent that this wasn't really like a, a solo album because everybody seemed to have their say of how they thought the record should be. Um, all the players have such a style of their own as well that what they brought to the table was very much a sum of all their personalities together it wasn't like bringing in session musicians in any way so i think that's what spurred the idea to david was he you know he was very happy with what they were doing and he would sing on top of it and it sort of became a feeling of a band everyone was together we were all living in the same quarters as such and then we went on to compass point in the bahamas and and it felt like a band record so i think that's why he felt rather than this being a solo record where I've just brought in people as I need them. This has been the same group of people. We've made an album together, and it's more like a band, so that's how it happened. Did Soupy Sales ever come in? Did Soupy ever come by? Soupy Sales? No, he didn't, sadly. But his humour is definitely um, was definitely part of the room, coming through Hunt and Tony loud and clear. Um, 
We did have some interesting visitors, as you can imagine, working on a, a David Bowie album, which was quite fun for me, I can't deny, uh, meeting people like Brian Eno or Yoko Ono or Sean Lennon, um, things like that were uh you know was great uh, a great experience for me i remember when i was a kid i'd listen to the um craftwork albums and there's one particular craftwork song um where the lyric is station to station new york city meet iggy pop and david bowie and as i sat in the studio mixing the tin machine album in new york and iggy had stopped by i couldn't help smiling to myself and thinking this is it this is happening <laughs> Uh, how was Bowie to work with, and were you pleased with the finished album? It's always a potentially difficult situation when you work with one of your musical heroes, because I think as a producer, they need you to be as critical and as honest as you can. And if you hold that person in such a high standing, it's, it's hard to, to be critical, I guess. But as far as working with David, he was really open to any ideas that I had, and you know, even things like recording his voice, I thought he would have very specific ideas of how he wanted that done. But he didn't. He just let me set up the microphone the way that I would. And uh, I said, are you happy with the sound of your voice? And he's like, yep, if you are, it sounds great to me. Let's just carry on. And that's the way that it went. Um, he was the same with the musicians. He lets the musicians express themselves the way that it's coming from them, the way that they feel the song should be. And I think he uh, has a history of you know working with different musicians and bringing the best out in them because he doesn't make them feel uncomfortable. And... Um, yeah, it was wonderful. I mean, I as I said before, I learned a lot. I learned to leave things alone a bit because he definitely does that. He doesn't get involved. He doesn't pick things to pieces quite as much as, as some people do. And, and that, that's a good lesson to learn um, when producing music because sometimes the parts that are actually technically could be wrong turn out to be your favorite parts on the record. He also, his vocal technique was just so in impressive to me. I remember him singing a vocal and uh, I thought it was fabulous and he said he wanted to do it again and i asked him why why do you want to do it again and he said because he wanted to to he wanted to evoke more of the sadness in the song mm. and i said well how, how how will you approach that as a singer and he said i'm going to sing it just very f slightly flatter and he, i watched him perform the song and just sing it very very slightly under the note which is a very difficult thing to do and it sounded incredible it was on a song on tin machine two called amlapura and uh, it was just a, a a wonderful thing to be able to witness Interesting. Hey, hey, I would burn too If you should lie upon that bamboo fire And Tim, just to wrap it up, were you happy with how the album turned out? Was I happy with the record? Um, yes and no, I'd say. Um, I was extremely honored to be part of the record. Um, of course, there were things that I would like to have done better. Um, I think it's important to never be too satisfied with what you, what you do. Um, I think for what it did for David was very important. I think it was a sort of platform for him to sort of do a restart so I feel 
proud to be part of that catalyst sort of feeling. Um, and a lot of the songs that I think were really special, songs like um, I Can't Read, songs like Amazing, songs like The Baby Can, I think are, are, are wonderful. I really, really like them. Um, I wasn't so much of a fan of the singles as much, but as a process and as something that I went through and learned from, it was invaluable. I mean, I think I changed a lot of the way that I felt about the recording of music after working on those sessions, and I've remained friends with those guys ever since. That was awesome. That was pretty cool. I yeah. want to thank uh, I want to thank Tim, and you can go to timpalmer.com, and you will not believe his discography. You too, Tears for Fears, Ozzy Osbourne, In Excess, Goo Goo Dolls. It's just it's crazy how many bands that he's worked with. And uh, since Tim said that he wasn't a fan of the singles, uh, let's play one of the songs he did mention off the first Tim Machine album. Let's hear a little bit of I Can't Read. I can't read and I can't write down I don't know a book from Countdown I don't care which shadow gets me All I've got is someone's face Reeves Gabriels really is out of his damn mind. Isn't yeah, he? it's oh crazy. My goodness. Crazy good. Um, so now what we have to do, Gary, is we have to do the '90s through the present. We're up against the clock. We're I'm up so yeah, we got to like jam it all in. I do want to get in everybody's covers and everybody's uh, bad Bowie songs. Um, but uh, the '90s, he put out an, every, an album every two years on the odd year in the '90s. Yeah, yeah. Very prolific period. Uh, it was uh, Tim Machine Two, Black Tie, White Noise. Outside the Trent Reznor one, I saw that tour. That was the only time I ever saw him. It was okay. It was like yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't great. Then Earthling was like his foray into drum and bass, and uh, that was interesting. And then Hours in uh, 1999. Mm-hmm. Any uh, any special and then highlights? Heathen and then Reality. Oh, then Heathen and Reality. Reality is fucking awesome. I love Reality. That was like yeah, his last album cool. before the next day. And Heathen was cool. That was uh, that was alright. Anything from this whole uh, uh, more recent era? That or really, you have something uh, for rings us? your bell. Um, I liked reality a lot too yeah. as well. Um, Should we hear a little bit of um, uh, 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 Fall Dog Bombs from? Um, yeah, are we going to do covers by him too? Yeah. Oh, great. Okay, so um, yeah, yeah. Uh, from from about a minute in, you just just hear a little bit of this is like this is like uh, also Tony Visconti, I think, producing. There's all my hands, Nice. And then I would like to play from 97's Earthling, uh, Little Wonder. Ah. Oh, yeah. When I hear this, I'm like, this is Pat Francis's type of music. <laughs> I, I, I really dig this Earthling movie. <laughs> uh, movie. Earthling <laughs> album. I'm the fire starter. Little <laughs> <laughs> 
That was cool. That's, yeah, that's Skrillexy. So now what do we get? We can talk about uh, the next day and then the covers? Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about the, the next day a little bit? That's, uh, uh, yeah, we've all had a chance to live with it for about yep. three weeks or so. And uh, it's, it's, it's in the canon, I think. I it's think it's like one of really, his best albums. Yeah, I really do. Sure. I mean, I after 10 years off and this late in your career to produce the next day is incredible. And um, this is, I, I did not read this. I came with, up with this on my own, Lori. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you think about this. The cover. For the next day. Yeah, I it's, don't know what to make of that. Here's what I make of it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, If you haven't seen the cover, it's the Heroes album cover, but just kind of like a post-it note in the middle that just says the next day across. And on the back, the same thing, post-it note with the new songs. It was driving me crazy trying to figure out what this might mean. And here's what I came up with. In the song Heroes, he says, we can be heroes just for one day. Mm-hmm. And so in my head, I go, well, then what happens the next day. Oh, oh nice. I like and that's that. what I came up with for that. So I don't know if that's just I my take on it. That's, or that's an amazing theory. And that's, and that's like so interesting because it's like, I always go back to that last scene in The Graduate uh-huh. where after you have your moment of heroism, <laughs> like, fuck, now you're just now sitting what? on the bus. Now you're just sitting on the bus, you know? <laughs> and, that's, and that's kind of where he's and, been and the, the last 10 years, kind of sitting on the bus. Like, the, you know? yeah. This is how I came up with that. I saw the Iron Man 3 trailer. <laughs> and Iron Man, Iron Man wakes up and he's basically like, we just saved New York City with yeah. the Avengers. Yeah. How do I start yeah. this now? What? Now what? Yeah. So interesting. That's yeah. that's where I what I took from it. So um, yeah, and he's always had his face on every cover. Yeah, like it's the the focal point. I know. You know, and this one's just the, the post it. I know. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> do you have any uh, any favorites on the uh, on the album? You know, I love the album. I love that. What was the first? Um, where are we now? Where are yeah. we now? Is I love that. But the song that really it was. Um, uh, bonus track yes and uh-huh. it's called So She yeah, yeah I almost bought that one and um, I have it at 57 cool yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I should point out, we have a copy of the deluxe uh, version of The Next Day with the three bonus tracks, which are really awesome. And if you want to win it, uh, you know how you win here on Rock Solid. Just, please just uh, write a review on iTunes, uh, and we will uh, pick a winner at random and send that out to you. And uh, people you know, often say that making an album is a lost art, but this is an album. This yeah. is something you yeah. put on and you listen to the entire thing. It's, it's a whole piece of of of, uh, of goodness so l- covers l- let's uh yeah you turn in. does a lot of cool covers i mean comes up with great songs but uh also like somebody who loves music and like as uh picked up like from uh does like beach boys jonathan richmond pixies jacques brel stones just, he has still, a, yeah he has a covers album called yeah, pinups. pinups exactly so. um uh do you want to start with the covers what do you got uh well, yeah, my, my cover is was a bonus track from the Japanese release of Reality. Ah. It's one of my favorite songs of all time, uh, penned by Ray Davies. And this is Bowie's take on Waterloo Sunset. Nice. Dirty 
shine so bright But I don't friends As long as I gaze on Autumn the sunset I am in paradise Beautiful, never heard that Very nice How about you, Lori? What did you bring? You know, I have one from Black Tie, White Noise. Oh, um, wow. I'm not sure. I hope this is the artist, Scott Walker. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And it's called Night Flights. And um, I think it kind of picks up at 38, but it's just beautiful. And not only that, I never even knew about this guy. Like, I listened oh, to his version. Yeah. I feel like I have a whole new, now I have something. Yeah, to dive know? into <laughs> and explore, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Using his deep Scott Walker. Yeah, it's uh, the original. The band is the Walker Brothers. Sure. But uh, yeah, Scott Walker. Walker Brothers, not brothers, like the Ramones. I know. Crazy. Amazing. Yeah, he, that, that's, uh, boy, we have to explore him a little more yeah. on the show when we have a minute. Uh, I wanted to pick something from Pinups. I think it was the UK single off Pinups. This was uh, uh, my wife, Jane. She did this stage show called Super Queer. And uh, it was kind of this autobiography, one woman show thing. It was just an amazing show. And uh, she did this like uh, amazing little ballet uh, sequence to this number. It's um, it's by the McCoys of Hang On Sloopy fame, uh, and it's called Sorrow. Uh, Gorgeous. Uh, that is amazing. Is that nice? Yes. So, uh, you know, 26 albums, I think it is, mm-hmm. over 40 years. You know, there's going to be some missteps. That's fine. <laughs> you can't... Uh, Everyone has missteps. Everybody does. There. I mean, I don't care who you are. You have that many albums out. There's, it's, you know... Should we, should we hear, uh, like, a couple seconds from some especially egregious uh, moments? Did anybody bring any? I didn't bring any. Uh, I brought the laughing gnome. I brought the laughing gnome, too. Okay, <laughs> good. This was all an excuse to play the laughing gnome. Okay. Okay, Matt from 33. Let me set it up a little bit. This is from his very first album in 67. I think it was a B-side. And um, when he was first having that farewell tour in 1990, um, he... He was having a contest where you would like call in and like you know pick the set list and some it was like NME or something had to like started publicize everybody calling and picking laughing gnome so like you know it was like you know to try to make him perform this uh, it is what it is let's hear a little bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> 70s 
said the laughing no. <laughs> wow. Dr. Demento must have loved that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, man. Anything well, else? We, I mean, there's so I, much. We could go on for hours. So much, I mean, when, it, when, you pick it, when you pick an artist like this, you could do hours and hours. But I think we did a pretty good job. Matt, have we changed your mind? Uh, board. It, it, has, it has made me want to delve a little deeper. This is what I think of. Just to, to present the counter argument, this yeah. is what I think of when I hear... Uh, David Boy, because of my age, and I think what kind of came around, yeah. it came onto my limited radar. Oh, I think I know what you're going to play. And this, this might turn people off of, of music in general forever. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> if anyone can explain why this happened. <laughs> Ouch. Well, I mean, the video, uh, I can't even hear it without picturing the dancing, the shirts. It's so bad. That's Mick Jagger. It's Mick Jagger and David Bowie. For Live Aid, for charity. Maybe it was relapse. <laughs> Look at Bowie's jacket. Do you know about the Family Guy episode? No. Uh, Mike Siegel just told me this yesterday. There's a Family Guy episode where they play this entire video. Just on screen. Like, if you're surfing around, you would come to this. You wouldn't know you're watching Family Guy. And when the video ends, Peter just goes, yeah, so that happened, huh? <laughs> they play the entire video. That's hilarious. Um, with a lot of people to thank, Gary. Uh, first, ah. of course. We Lori thank- Bauer, thank you so much. Are you on uh, Twitter or Facebook? Can anybody uh, uh, drop a line to Facebook, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Awesome. And uh, Tim Palmer, go to timpalmer.com. Drop him a line uh, if you uh, want to say hi to him. Uh, thanks so much, Tim, for recording all that uh, incisive uh, Tin Machine uh, info. I feel like that's an exclusive. Like, how many? Yeah, nobody's yeah talking uh, about that. Yeah, when, yeah so uh, and yeah, I think those albums are a little overlooked and like maligned unjustly. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Matt Belknap, because I know that sure. in post you're going to be a, you're going <laughs> to be a lot of chopping, a, a little Sorry. editing to make. That's uh, partly make my it. own fault. No, I'll, no, I'll help not. you out and. Um, uh, Lori, looking beautiful as ever. Oh, thank and you. And thank a, you for having me. Such You're a welcome. nice uh, addition to the program. And everybody, uh, tell everybody how much you love Rock Solid. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Absolutely. Write, write a review on iTunes. Call 330-81-ROCKS if you want to leave a message. And, uh, and go by the next day. By Immediately. Next day. Buy it. And uh, we should have played out on uh, Dancing in the Streets. Yeah, you can't leave out on that one. No, no, we're not going to end on that. Lori, why don't you pick uh, something that we can play out? How about uh, Baby Can Dance from Tin Machine? Yeah, yeah, that was one of of the ones Tim Palmer likes, so let's do it. Good call. Thanks, everybody.